Feeling 
Amen. Thank you very much. I want to welcome you to East Hills Baptist Church uh, this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about church membership. The best way to let us know if you want to be a member is inside your bulletin. There's this care card. And if you will, just fill that out. And you can hand it to a staff person or you can put it in that basket back there. Some of you have already done that, and we're going to get in touch with you pretty soon. But if that is something that you're interested in, please do that. Or you can... You can you can inbox me on Facebook or text me. Do not call me if I don't have your number. They're still trying to get my warranty for the 2008 Honda Accord I had. So I don't answer numbers that I don't know. So uh, please just get in touch with us that way. Also, I want to mention that these flowers are placed in memory of Ray Bruder and Penny. We love you guys. We had uh, Ray's service yesterday. A lot of people are wearing black and gold because Ray was a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, you know, my thoughts were when Ray got to heaven, he found out God was a cowboy fan, but that's okay, okay? That's all right. But Penny, we do love you guys and uh, praying for you. Ray was a good man. I shared this yesterday. Ray was so faithful to this church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, served here. He and Penny have been generous, and uh, we just love you, and our thoughts and prayers are with you. And thank you guys for honoring Ray the way you have. Is it not a blessing? Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his goodness in our life. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, stand with me and let's welcome one another to the house of the Lord this morning.
As we go to the Lord in prayer, in Psalm 145, verse 3, simply says this, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. When we come to this time of prayer, when any time we go to the Lord in prayer, sometimes we can rush into that, and it's important for us as His children to remember who it is we pray to, to remember our God and how great He is, who He is and what He's able to do. And this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, um, just a reminder of who he is. We're going to pray through a couple of his attributes and how that impacts our life. But understanding who he is gives us confidence, doesn't it? When we ask, we know that he is more than able. And it also gives us hope. It also should give us a sense of reverence because we serve a mighty God. So as we go to the Lord in prayer, uh, I'm going to invite you to come. And as you come, um, I'm going to lead us. But a few names that I just want to mention. We do want to remember the Bruder family, that, um, that you would lift them up. Um, also remember Myrtle Adams. She uh, was injured last week while here at church. She had surgery this week and is home recovering, doing okay. But um, there's also many names in your bulletin that we need to pray for, but um, can't mention all those. But as we go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to invite you to come if you'd like to come to the altar and kneel. You can stay there at your seat. You can sit in your chair if you need to. But our goal and our hope is as a church family, we can call on him together and lift up these needs. So you come as the praise team leads us. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have the privilege to call on you. Lord, as we approach your throne, we're reminded that you are a holy God. And Lord, in this place today, I pray that you would truly search our hearts and reveal our sin. Lord, that our pride would be peeled away. And Lord, we would understand your greatness and our great need for you. But Lord, in the midst of you convicting and revealing our sin and those things that offend you in our lives, we're thankful that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy that we are regularly in need of cleansing. So, Lord, this morning, help us to be honest. Help us to be real before you. And, Lord, that you would bring conviction. Lord, we're also thankful that you are all-powerful. You are more than able to provide everything that we need. You have the power to heal. You have the power to rescue. You have the power to move mountains. So, Lord, we lift up those in need. And as a congregation, just lift up the Bruder family. Ask the Lord to strengthen them, encourage them. And we find great comfort in knowing that Ray is healed and with the Lord. Pray for those that are battling illness, fighting cancer and other diseases. And those that are healing. And Lord, we ask that you allow us to experience your power and presence even today. And pray for those right now that need salvation. Lord, we're thankful that you're all-knowing, that you can see what we cannot. So, Lord, help us to trust your ways and your perfect will. Help us to know it and know that your plan is good and righteous, that everything you say, everything you do is right in our lives. Help us to understand your plan even in the midst of pain. And Lord, finally, we just thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. 
We pray, Lord, that you would convict us, teach us, and change us today in this place. We pray for in the homes that are watching, Lord, that your spirit would move. And even those who may listen on the radio later this week, God, that you would do a mighty work through the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. destiny was changed as he looked at Christ and said when your kingdom comes remember me in paradise that day he stood just like the Lord had said he would surrounded by those who had gone before and one said
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and stand with me. If you will, we're going to read verses 8 and 9. The title of the message this morning is The Blessed Life. And basically what God says in this verse, or these two verses is, you need to be a blessing to other people. And if you are a blessing to other people, then you're going to inherit a blessing. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we want to thank you for this study in 1 Peter and pray that you would take this message today, Lord, and help us to apply it to our hearts. Father, this is, what, this is the portrait of what a church should look like when we leave this place. Lord, we should show compassion, be sympathetic. Father, love, we should have love for one another in our communities. Lord, just help us to be a, a tremendous witness in how we act. Lord, it doesn't take a... a seminary degree to do this this morning. It doesn't take some kind of supernatural spiritual gift um, to do this this morning, Lord. It's just to be in Christ-like in our families, in our homes, Lord, and in our workplaces. Lord, when we're about doing our hobbies, Father, help us to be an example of who you are. And Lord, be a blessing to a lost and dying world. And that truly is living a blessed life, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people sit together. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The New Testament. Now think about Peter when he's writing this letter to these people that are scattered. It's not only, not only is he giving them like life lessons, but what Peter is trying to do is to get these people, regardless of their situation in life, we talked about marriage. Maybe a woman's married a man and he's lost and she's saved. Let's say you work in a position. He was writing to actual slaves who had masters who may not be uh, good people. And then he talked about the government. He said, there are going to be times when the government's good in your life, sometimes when they're bad, but ultimately you're to live this way because your ultimate goal in life is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And one of the ways of doing that is not just fleshing out what Christianity is, but it's your life should make an impact on somebody else. So behind everything Peter writes is the glorification of God and evangelism. Think about that for a moment. While, while God commands us to preach the gospel, most people are one on a personal level. Listen to what one scholar said. The New Testament plan, while it certainly involves the preaching of the gospel, is primarily a plan for personal witness and personal evangelism, which means this. The lost and dying world is waiting on you to share the gospel with them. He goes on to say this. The only scheme the New Testament knows for evangelism is personal. Statistics bear out the importance of personal witness. Approximately 90% of all people surveyed as to how it was they came to know Jesus Christ pointed to a personal witness, a friend, a relative, and a co-worker. That's amazing. 90% of the people that came to Christ surveyed said they came to Christ through the personal witness of a friend. Less than 10% of the people who came to Christ come because of something other than a personal witness. That's, that, is a, that shows you the importance of your life. Now listen to this, all the mass media, television, radio, all the mass evangelistic methods, all the crusades, all the musical concerts intended with evangelistic emphasis that move across this country, a personal witness is 90% more powerful 
Isn't that amazing? Now let me read that again. All the media. I mean, you have, you have Christianity at your fingertips, right? I have 200 books on my phone. I have probably 40 commentaries. I have probably 50 Bible translations on my phone, right? All the mass media, but me talking to somebody else and being a friend to them has 90% greater chance of that person coming to Christ than them watching Charles Stanley on Sunday morning. Isn't that amazing? Okay? All the mass media, television, radio, all the mass evangelistic methods, all the crusades, all the crusades, all the musical concerts intended with evangelistic emphasis that move across the country, the personal witness is more powerful. Godly character in the world is the greatest evangelistic strategy the church has. Students, godly character in school is the greatest evangelistic strategy we can give you. I've, I've done EE, I've done faith, I've done all those things, right? And nothing wrong with them. But your life is more of an influence on somebody else than all those things, okay? Personal That's what this section is about, the blessing of Christian conduct. And it starts back, he says the word finally in verse 8, and what that means is Peter starts back in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Notice what he says there, if you have your Bibles, he says, Beloved, I beg you... As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And what Peter says back in chapter 2 is this, because of your life, these pagan Gentiles, and that's the way he put it, he said they're going to come to Christ and they're going to glorify God on the day of, his, of judgment. They will, because of your life. Not because of all your Bible knowledge, not because of your great evangelistic presentation, but just because of your life. And what Peter does here is he gives us five Christian virtues that we're going to look at very quickly that we all can do, okay? We all can do it and we all should do it. One scholar says, Peter fleshes out this honorable conduct mentioned in chapter 2 by instructing citizens to submit to the government, servants to submit to their masters, wives to submit to their husbands, and after addressing these groups, Peter concludes this section, verses 8 and 9, by saying all of you should do this. And Dr. Edmund Hubert calls these virtues the ideal, for, for a, the ideal portrait of a Christian church. So what are these five virtues? The first one, these are very simple, is that we should, as Christians, live in harmony. Notice, finally, that points back to chapter 2, verse 11. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind. Now, that's hard, isn't it, to be of one mind? I mean, you can be married to somebody for 50 years and not be of one mind on everything, right? I mean, some of you, some of you are dressed in Steelers stuff this morning in memory of uh, Ray Bruder. But look, nobody here really likes the Steelers, do they? I mean, really. I mean, I thought I was at a Sugarloaf class reunion when I came in. That was our colors. Think about this. Isn't it amazing how you can have a UNC fan marry a Duke fan and they can get along? You can have a Steeler fan marry a Cowboy fan, and they can ultimately get along. You can have a Democrat marry a Republican. Never mind, don't, don't even start that, okay? But think about this. You know what you can't do? You can't have a Christian and a non-Christian marry and them get along ultimately. That's why the Bible says to not be unequally yoked. And when he's talking about one mind, he says this. Finally, all of you in the church, he's talking about the church, you should be one mind when it comes to the purpose of the church, the mission of the church, and the doctrine of the church. 
Now, you don't have to agree on everything in doctrine to be a part of a church, but you have to agree on the essentials of everything. That's why he says that word, if you look at the word one mind, if you look at the word mind, it comes from two words. The first word starts with a P that I can't pronounce. It means frontal. It's where we get the word for frontal lobe. It means to think. And then the other word is homo, which means same. And he says you should have the same thinking when you come to church. That's why when I have a new members class, I'll tell them, I said, the first thing you need to understand about this church is what we believe, okay? What we believe, because that'll make or break your, your desire to come to this church. Do you agree with these essentials? Non-essentials is okay. We can, we can disagree on that. Okay? Gray areas and convictions we can disagree on, but the essentials you must agree on. And what Peter is saying is when you have a group of like-minded people who believe in the same doctrine, that's a beautiful thing to the community. It is. So you have to have, you have, to have like-mindedness when it comes to truth. You have to. When it comes to doctrine, listen, the doctrine of Jesus, if you're wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about eternity. You are. That's why a Mormon, good, I've never met a bad Mormon. Never. I play basketball with Mormons. But Mormons have a different Jesus. They just do. Mormons couldn't come to church here in fellowship because they just, they're like, who's this Jesus? Muslims, I've been to a mosque. One of the nicest men I met was a PhD imam uh, in Scarborough, Toronto, or Scarborough, Canada. Great guy. Fed us, let us go to their service. Fundamentally different on Jesus. Jesus didn't die on a cross, didn't raise from the dead. Okay? You can't be saved if you believe that. So if you don't have those views of Jesus, you can come here, but you're not going to be like minded, right? So you got to have, you got to go to a church where you believe in the doctrine. Okay? If you believe that, uh, baptizing baby saves that baby, you're not going to like it here because we don't believe that. We just don't. It's nowhere in the Bible. Okay? If you believe taking that wafer and drinking that grape juice, okay, Baptist drink grape juice, all right, is actually the blood and body of Jesus, you're going to have a hard time here. To us, it's a picture of what Jesus has done. Okay? So he says, finally, all of you be of one mind. What does that one mind mean? It means you've got to be in one mind about the essentials, not the non-essentials. Okay? If you're in one mind about the non-essentials, you become a cult. right? You become a cult, open up a restaurant, and don't have it open on Saturdays. I mean, you can do that. But finally, be of one mind. Okay? You've got to be of one mind. right? You've got to be of one mind when it comes to the essentials. You really need to be of one mind when it comes to the purpose of the church. Now, when you think about unity, unity has always been prized in the church. Jesus began by praying that we would be one. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus said, Lord, I pray that... Now, he had 12, and one of them was, a, was the devil, basically. He says, I pray that these 11 would be one, okay, in their mission, purpose, and doctrine. And then in John 13, Jesus told the disciples that the fact that they loved each other and they had unity, that all men would know that they were his disciples. In Romans 12, 16, the Apostle Paul calls for love and unity around doctrine, purpose, and mission. We hear it again in Romans 15, 5. Paul says, be united around love and unity. We hear it again in Philippians 2. He says, you be like-minded and have the same love for one another. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Paul says that there should be no divisions or discord or schisms in the church because we're like-minded. You see, it is to be the characteristic of Christians that we live in harmony and do not create conflict. We are harmonious. Number two is this. The church should, to the church and the non-church, the church should show compassion. Notice, finally, all of you be of one mind. Okay, You have your doctrine right, your purpose right, your mission right. 
Then he says, have compassion. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion. Look at that word, compassion. The Greco-Roman world did not have compassion. I don't care what your history teacher in college tells you. They didn't have orphanages. They didn't have hospitals. They didn't have schools for people that did not uh, live at a certain level. Christians started all of that. If you were crippled in, in, uh, in Peter's day, in Asia Minor, where he wrote this, and you can read verse 1 to see where all these cities were, they would just drag you to the city wall and tell you to beg. And then Christians said, we should do something about that. And they had compassion on those people. If, if you lived in Rome and you had a girl and you didn't want her, you'd just take her to the city square and just leave her out. And then Roman citizens would take her and turn her into a prostitute. If they, did, if they had a boy that was a little bit deformed, they would take him and turn him into a gladiator. Christians said, we're going to take those babies. We're going to start an orphanage and raise them. Why? Because they showed compassion on those people. Typically, if you read Roman history, okay, they did not have benevolence issues for the poor much. But the church came along and they did. Why? Because they showed compassion. Now, notice what he says. You should show compassion, look at this, for one another. That means people that came from the same womb. Okay? It's like he's saying, um, because of your faith in Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And when he says having compassion, he says you should start in the church. Have compassion. That word basically means, it means to suffer with. One, one person put it, put it this way. We are ready to share the sufferings of others. Even outside the church, we should be known as sympathetic. He goes on to say, we must understand the fallen, fallenness of humanity. We must find in our hearts sympathy. We should be marked like our Savior who was a sympathetic high priest, says the writer of Hebrews. Jonathan MacArthur put it this way. He says, we should be known not as indifferent to the world, not as the critic of the world, now listen, not as those who damn the people of the world, but as sensitive to the pain of the lost, as sensitive to the anxiety of the lost, as sensitive and tender-hearted toward their greater needs. Okay? You should have compassion and sensitivity, not just for those in the church, but for those outside the church. One Scottish writer put it, why Moses could not be a high priest. Listen to what he says. Moses, the greater man than Aaron, was not called to be a high priest. Why? Because he had grown up in the palace. Now listen, Moses grew up in the palace. He had never felt the lash of the taskmaster, the blast of the brick kilns, the rawed finger agony of toil. He couldn't be touched with the feelings of their infirmities, but Aaron could. Aaron was a slave. Moses wasn't a slave. Moses grew up in riches. Moses was educated. He's one of the smartest men to ever live was Moses. The Egyptians at that time were probably the smartest people who have ever lived. Moses was one of them. Lived in Pharaoh's palace. Then you got Aaron, who's been a slave. He understands what it's like. He, he's eating what they throw to him. He's raising his kids in that. And God says, who, who are we going to have to be the high priest? Not Moses, Aaron. Aaron's been there, done that. Aaron can sympathize with the people. Moses couldn't at the time. It took him 40 years in the desert. It's kind of like when I was lost. You know, when I was lost, a seminary-trained person who went to high school, went to seminary, and then come to my house was not going to share the gospel with me. That wasn't going to work. This wasn't going to work. The guy who led me to the Lord was an addict. He'd spent time in jail, and God had saved him, and he had years of sobriety. That guy I listened to. That guy's who I listened to, okay? Because he understood what it was like to be in my seat, 
okay? And he had given his life to Jesus, and God had cleaned him up, and I would listen to that person. See, some of you have been through life, and that's your ministry, right? That's why I can go to prisons and talk. My dad died in prison, right? I see some preachers go to prison. I'm like, man, you just need to sit down. <laughs> you just need to sit down, bro. You are, nobody's listening to you. You cannot sympathize with these people, right? Some of you, your, your greatest heartache in your life can be your greatest ministry in the future, if you'll let it, because you can sympathize with people. That's why Paul says to the church at Corinth, when God comforts you with all comfort, that word all means he's going to comfort you somehow, that you take the comfort that God gave you and you help somebody that's been through what you've been through. Right? That's why Scotty's ministry is such a blessing. She's been there. She understands what it's like to have a dad behind bars. Okay? Some of you understand what it's like, and that's why God says show sympathy especially to one another. Listen, one... one uh, Pastor said, we do not chastise and damn people who are struggling with the issues of life as fallen creatures. Listen to me. Everybody struggles. Everybody struggles. And in the church, when you hear of a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling with sin issues, show compassion. The world's not going to do that. Show compassion because we're all fallen sinners saved by God's grace. Amen? The third thing is this. We're to love our brothers and sisters. That word love there... It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers or love as sisters. That word is the Greek word Philadelphia, which just means brotherly love. Paul says to the church at Ephesus that you should be rooted and grounded in love. What does it mean to be rooted and grounded in love? At minimum, it means that for believers, we must be more than a, it must be more than a feeling or even an action performed toward others. Rather, it is someone who is rooted and grounded in love. Then they must love. Love must be at the foundation of their life. And all love has to be rooted and grounded in the truth. That's why Paul says in the next chapter in Ephesians that ungrounded and immature Christians are tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. But the mature Christian is a believer who is growing up in all aspects of him. So all of our love is grounded in truth. Paul told the church at Galatia, For you were, once, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If you love your brothers, then forgiveness is going to be evident. If we're grounded in God's love, we'll be grounded in his forgiveness. After Paul tells the church, the church at Ephesus to be rooted and grounded in love, and let that love be, the, the foundation of that love be the truth of the Bible, he goes on to say this, now listen to what he says, just as God in Christ has forgiven you, so should you forgive others. One scholar put it this way, an unforgiving church will be ripped apart by disunity, spitefulness, and bitterness, but a forgiving church is grounded in God's love. That church will continue long after others have faded. We remember that Christ has forgiven us exponentially more than anything done to us. This changes the way we interact with others as we show grace to us, the, those around us. A church that is comprised of men, women, and children who are relentlessly grounded in God's love will be a forgiving church that loves the truth. So if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you must forgive. You must forgive. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Paul tells the church at Rome, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts. Jude put it this way, as Jude talks about the gospel, and Jude is the Lord's brother, and it's just one book, it's one chapter, Jude is. 
Jude will say this. He'll talk about how the gospel came to us. He says it's from God. It's not ours, but we're to guard it. And then he goes on to say this in Jude 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that beautiful? Don't find it. Don't hunt for it. Don't pray for it and ask for it. You've got it. Just keep it, to your, just keep it for yourself and share it with others. The writer of Hebrews writes to uh, young Christian believers. He says, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. The fourth thing is almost like the second one we talked about. It means to have compassion. The language used in the Gospels describes Jesus as being moved with compassion over and over and over again. The, uh, the greater word is to be tender-hearted toward people. And we see Jesus' compassion and tender-heartedness when he healed the sick. Mark 1 says this, So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. We see Jesus' compassion and his heart when he heals the blind. In Matthew 20, the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. We see a really good picture of that when Jesus heals the leper. Now notice what the Bible says about Jesus healing the leper. Because none of the religions of that day would want a leper around them. They had their place. If a leper came near you, you'd have to shout unclean. If a leper touched your house, your house was deemed unclean. Okay, But listen to what Jesus does to this leper. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean, which shows his faith. This man says, I know you can heal me of leprosy. Nobody had ever been healed of leprosy before ever, but you can heal me of leprosy. Filled with compassion, filled with a tender heart, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Why? He didn't heal him by touching him. He healed him by saying this, I'm willing, he said, be clean. But Jesus touched him. Probably the first time in years that man had been touched. One, one uh, uh, gospel says Jesus looking at him, loved him, and then he touched him. Be that kind of Christian. Jesus had compassion on the hungry multitude. The Bible says in Matthew 15, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. Jesus also showed compassion to the bereaved. In Luke 7, 12, and 13, it says, As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her tenderhearted, and he said, Do not cry. So you, what you have is Jesus and his group, and all the people with Jesus at that time, which was many, were walking this way. There's a crossroads. You have this funeral procession coming this way. Jesus sees the mom... And filled with compassion, says, don't cry. And she healed his son. Jesus was compassionate, be tenderhearted. And then the final thing is the hardest one for me because I'm a steal. It says, don't hit back. Doesn't that stink? Man, you hit me, I want to hit you back. You punch me, I want to punch you back. Okay? You, you write something negative about me, I want to write it back. Don't you? Have you ever texted something and went, I'm not going to do it? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you do it anyway? Well, don't. Okay, that's what that means. Think about it. Look, he says this. Not, look at the word returning. That's an important Greek word. You know what it means? It means to pay back or give back implying a debt, which means this. They deserve it. That's what that word means. They deserve it. They, they're responsible for something, and it's not optional. They deserve it. Not returning. If you look at the word just returning, it means it's a debt that they, they are guilty. 
But look at the word before it, not. Okay, that means retaliation. This was strongly condemned by Jesus. Jesus says this, you have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. I don't want to do that. I don't. You know, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, and most people were considered right-handed, if I was going to slap Matt, and I'm not going to, Matt, but if I was going to slap Matt on his right cheek, I would have to do this, right? Backhand. Now, my mama can backhand me. She's only one, all right? Now, think about that for a minute. What is a backhand? Is your life in danger? Is your wife's life in danger? No. It's not talking about self-defense. It's talking about back then, somebody, if they disagreed with you publicly and wanted to shame you, they'd either spit on you or they'd backhand you publicly. That was one of the worst insults you could get. Okay. See, when they spit on Jesus, what they were saying is, I don't believe in you, and they'd spit on him. Jews today still spit on Absalom's grave. That's a spit with your hand. And Jesus said, if somebody does that to you, returning means they owe a debt, but you're not going to do it. Don't hit back. Man, that's hard, isn't it? That's the hardest one out of all of them. I about left this off. <laughs> I wanted to, but you can't, can you? I mean, I mean, somebody slaps you in public, and you're just going to say, here's this cheek. Man, that takes a lot. Mm. Y'all pray for me, all right? That's tough, isn't it? But what if they don't slap you? See, Paul says this, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. He's just not talking about, like, horrific things. He's talking about just things that are evil to you. Somebody gossips about you, all that. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Spurgeon said this on regards to returning evil. He says, that is beast-like. It is certainly not the rule for the Christian. Good for evil is God-like. And yea, who are the children of God should seek and act like he does, not rendering evil for evil. Look, reviling, that means that you're verbally abused by somebody. You're just verbally abused by somebody. That's what that means. That means you're verbally assaulted, reviling means. Now, if you remember in chapter 2, the Bible says that when they reviled against Jesus, he didn't revile back. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he just, he just stopped talking. And that's hard for me too. It's very difficult. Everybody wants to defend their honor, their reputation, what they do, don't they? If somebody's verbally abusing you, sometimes, uh, and I'll tell you this, words hurt worse oftentimes more than just a slap on the cheek. Because words are forever, right? Words are like engraved in granite. If, if somebody you love says something negative about you, you're going to remember that forever. You're just going to have to deal with it. Don't you wish you could take words back? You just can't. You just can't take them back. And he says, don't return evil for evil. Now, the word returning means there's a debt there, right? Which means you've got to forgive the debt. The word returning means, yep, it happened. There's a debt. And they verbally abuse you, but you're not going to verbally abuse them back. That means, too, that you wish bet the best for them. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. With your mouth, you, you, now no, look, I'm going to tell you, he says, but on the contrary, blessing. You know what that word blessing means? You're supposed to bless those people. That means, it comes from the Greek word, which means eulogy. You know, we eulogize people. We, we say the best we can about them. It's, it's their funeral, right? And you want to, and you should. You know, Saul tried to kill David, but David showed so much respect for Saul and his position that God put him in, that at his funeral, David blessed him with his mouth. Saul tried to kill him. David said, Saul was a good man and done all that. What, what a tremendous example for us. 
Now, this is what Jesus is saying, Christians, okay? If you're not going to hit back and be like Christ and win lost people to, to Christ, then when people give you evil or they verbally abuse you, you eulogize them. <laughs> is that not crazy? <laughs> the person that's abusing you, you find the best things about them and tell them, you look good today, your hair looks good. And be, and be honest. Th this doesn't mean being fake. It's just being honest. Is that not hard? Is that not counterculture? Do you, do you think the Romans did that? I don't think they did. But the church came out doing that. It's amazing. It's the hardest. This is one of the hardest verses in the Bible for me. Because if you do evil, evil, look at the word evil. To me, mm, that's tough. It is so hard not to hit back, isn't it? Don't you just want them one time to say, God, one time, just one time, just one time, right? But don't do it. He says, knowing that, now look, look at the word knowing. You know what he's saying there? You're not, you're not a, a fourth grader, right? You're not anymore. Knowing that you were, look at the word called to this. That talks about their salvation and their lot in life right now. And what he says, like next week or two weeks from now, we're going to look at suffering. He's going to say, you've been called to this suffering. You're not getting out from under it. They were. Look at the word called. That means it's an historical event that happened. You were called, right? And that talks about your salvation and where you are in life right now. For Case in point, uh, the day I got saved, right? I felt like God was dealing with my heart. I just don't understand it. It was supernatural. I felt like God was calling me to be saved. When God called me into ministry, I felt like God was calling me to do that. It's the only reason I do this, right? I liken it to when I was growing up, I, I grew up in Hidnight, right across from Harry Gant. Harry, forgive me. No, I'm just kidding for all the things we did. But anyway, everybody in our neighborhood was about our age. We had a baseball field. We had a football field. We had a basketball court, okay? And we would go every day if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we would be outside till dark. And my mom would come to the porch. She didn't know where we were. She didn't, it, didn't, it didn't matter back then, right? You say, Jeff and Jamie, come home. Well, of course, we didn't come home. Then she'd come out about 10 minutes later. Jeff and Jamie, come home. And then mom would do this in Carmen Steel fashion. Jeff and Jamie, get your body parts here now. Okay? Now, I won't tell you what body parts she said, but we got home, right? Because she called us. And we understood that call. See, when I got saved, I got called like that, in a sense. You're lost. You're getting saved. And what Paul, what Peter is telling these Christians, I get this, you don't hit back because you've been called to that. Don't get out from under that calling. Don't hit back. Don't punch back. Don't be that guy. Because if you do, he says, don't you know that you're going to inherit a blessing? I don't know how. I don't know what it's going to look like, but God says, I'm going to bless your life. Now, in the Old Testament, when you thought about blessing, People always involved material things, land, possessions, because what was supposed to happen, if God blessed you with those things, then you would tithe all that back to him, and then you'd worship him for what he did for you. We had great crops. You worship God, okay? Our, our, our cows or whatever animals are alive, when we can sacrifice and do all that, and you worship God with it. Well, what, what God does now is he may not bless you that way, but he does bless you spiritually. God will bless you spiritually in ways that you can't imagine. But what he says is these two verses are so hard to do. And I constantly find myself having to repent and say, God, please forgive me and help me to do better. Help me to do better in all these areas if we're just honest, right? 
I'm going to ask you to stand with me for just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed as our musicians come. And just, just for a moment in this time of prayer, let me ask you these questions. Are you being blessed? And I would say this, you will be if you're being a blessing. Now think about this. Let's get real practical during this prayer time. Pray something like this, not out loud. Lord, I make a commitment today to be a blessing too. And fill in the blank. Lord, I make a commitment today to be a blessing too. Lord, I make a commitment today to forgive and you fill in the blank. Lord, I make a commitment today to forgive and then you fill in the blank. Lord, forgive me for not showing compassion to and then you fill in the blank. Friends, it all starts with Jesus. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? You can't be like-minded with people if you don't know Jesus. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I would encourage you to be saved today. No one loves you like Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead so that you could be saved. Paul says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today I would encourage you to pray and say, Jesus, today, today, I trust you and you alone for my salvation. And I ask you, Lord, to be my Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, these two verses are so powerful. They're so hard to do at times, but Lord, we should be doing them. Lord, help us to win people, not just with our words, but with our ways. And Father, help us to uh, be a blessing to a lost and dying world and also to our church. Lord, I want to thank you. Lord, I'm honored to pastor these people. Lord, some of the most compassionate, tender-hearted people, generous people I know are in this sanctuary this morning, Lord, and I want to thank you for that. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, that, Lord, even during this invitation time, that they would be saved. Lord, help us to be forgivers. Lord, help us not to keep records of wrongs. Lord, your word says love does not keep records of wrong. Love is patient, love is kind, and all those things. Lord, help us to be that way. Lord, I pray that I would be that way. Lord, help me not to hit back when everything in my flesh wants to. Lord, help me not to do that. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do for us. Lord, I pray that this invitation will bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, this invitation, this altar is open if you need it. Thank you.
thank everybody for being here today. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk with you about that. If you're interested in church membership, I would also love to talk with you about that. We're on a regular schedule tonight. I hope to see you back here tonight at 5 p.m. God bless you and you're dismissed.